and he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Hello, welcome back. Nets and Bruins podcast on Nesson.com's Mike Cole joined once again by Nesson.com's Logan Mullen. Logan, how have the last four months been treating you? Oh, fantastic. It's hard to believe it's been you know, that long since we've spoken to each other all together. It's actually only been like two months. Yeah. Well, we're coming up on two months, but... It feels like it's been four. I it's, That's that's how much I cherish our... I was going to... Yeah, I was going to say, I tend to have that effect on people. And people might not know, you and I have not spoken at all since the last time. We... It's not like we speak for close to hours on end every day. No, we do not. Uh, so there's actually kind of a lot to talk about. Um, this is We still don't have an NHL season yet. Um, we still don't have a guarantee that we will have an NHL season. Correct. But there's a lot to sink our teeth into as to where – things stand so we're basically this is a throwback episode to to may and june when you and i would kick the can about uh, potential return to play options and and kind of tackle some some ancillary bruins topics as well and I, we'll do all of that here uh today uh, on the nets and bruins podcast so um if you're listening to us i guess you might be subscribed but if you're not subscribed to the podcast rate and review it please um on itunes spotify I don't remember if this goes up on YouTube. So for some reason you stumble across it there, make sure you hop on over there to those other places and and give us a a subscription. Um, I imagine we'll start to ramp this up a little bit more moving forward, uh, especially as we continue to get news uh, as there is right now. And uh, we will continue to to get this going once and if the hockey season actually starts, which I guess is where we will start uh, our podcast is I don't know if there's going to be an NHL season in 2021 and this is the first time I've felt that basically since the 2020 season ended, but we've kind of reached an impasse here, which I thought, and I think everybody thought was virtually impossible given how good we felt about the NHL's uh, basically under, you know, under the auspice of secrecy, you know, just putting together a new CBA. We thought everything was great and silly us for being hockey fans for not realizing that, there's still a chance. And now we've got, I don't want to call it bickering, but perhaps a, uh, 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 you know, differing opinions between the NHL owners and players association as it pertains to how a 21 season might go about where it's, you're starting to hear things about the owners being a little less, you know, a little more unwilling to play uh, without fans in the stands, uh, which by the way, we're not really anywhere closer to, I mean, we have a vaccine coming, but the, the pandemic is raging, uh, as we speak. So that's not great. Um, you can kind of see where the owners are coming from, but I can also see where the players are coming from. I think we had an agreement here and, you know, now it feels like that might get blown up. And if that happens, things are going to get very ugly. I remember when we recorded the podcast after they agreed on the new CBA and we were just doing cartwheels. I mean, we were falling all over ourselves yeah. just out of sheer surprise that they actually got that done because generally uh, labor negotiations between the NHL and the NHL Players Association have been tenuous. Um, so the fact that they not only got a season restarted and finished with the whole bubble thing, um, but also got a new CBA in the process, we were thinking, all right, we're good to go. And I, I was saying to you this morning, this might have just been a bad read by me, but 
I basically thought that all we were going to have to do to get this next season started was say, pick a date. You know, and when the league sent out an official statement saying they were targeting January 1st, like the league, you know, stamped the logo right at the top, Bettman's signature, all that stuff. Um, And basically I thought, all right, well, you know, the NBA seems to have a clue. So the NBA will get their season started. Uh, The NFL had some roadblocks, but not many. Um, I thought we're not even going to near the territory that baseball did with uh, the NHL now. Uh, And it seems like that's wrong. Um, Now, in terms of fans being in the buildings, I think that was something they probably should have forecasted back in, you know, June, July, whenever it was that they actually signed the papers on this, that, you know, fans, you, they probably should not have banked on fans being in arenas, at least to start the season. Um, Maybe later on there will be as the vaccine rolls out and, places and states and whatnot start to relax restrictions but just banking on that didn't exactly seem like the most shrewd move and it seems now that for a variety of reasons we're starting to wander into a little bit more dangerous territory that said I'm a little more optimistic than you are Um, I think push comes to shove there will be a season Um, but it clearly it will not be without complication my biggest fear is that the owner's made that agreement in the summer or the spring, whenever it was. And, you know, you, you said, how do they not know that there's going to be, you know, no fans in the arena? Well, maybe they knew that. <laughs> maybe. You know, and they're just like, we can call a force majeure in January and we don't have to, you know, let's make the agreement now and not necessarily go back on it, but like, we have that option if we need to, where we can cite the force majeure and basically force a lockout. Um, problem is, though, there's a there's an agreement, and I don't think there's anywhere in the agreement. I could be wrong, other than like to you know to do the nuclear option if you're the owners, where it's like, you know, I, it's the same. It's like you and I have talked about this already. It's basically the same thing as baseball, where they made this agreement, and the players. I can see where the players are coming from, where they're just like. Well, that wasn't part of the agreement that, like, if there were no fans in 31 arenas, like, then we weren't going to play. Like, this, the agreement was to play, and that wasn't contingent upon a vaccine or ordinances and things like that. Yeah. So, I get where they're coming from. On the same side, I get where the owners are coming from to an extent, too, where it's, you know, they don't have the the lucrative TV deal that the NBA does. Like, the NBA is going to make millions and millions and millions of dollars between December 22nd and December 25th, just on those opening night games and the Christmas games. Like, so the NHL doesn't have that for, you know, unfortunately for them. Um, but again, none of, none of this is nothing new. Like, you know, right. This was all stuff we could have seen. Right. Once. Yeah. And, and I do think it's worth mentioning too. I, I would guess the lion's share of owners do want to play. Like I, I do think that even with as contentious as negotiations might be in that the, the players probably have more to lose by not playing than the owners do. Um, Not probably. I think that's just the reality. I do still think that not only short-term, but long-term it's, it's a better move for all involved if they figure this out and figure out a way to play. Yeah, I I guess. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to really say one way or another because like the owners are going to lose money. Like they just are. 
but you know, then it gets into a philo- philosophical debate too, where it's like, if you own a sports franchise, is that the same as like running a restaurant chain? I don't, you know, I don't know. Like, it feels like it's it technically is a business, but it feels like kind of like a fun type of thing that you do on the side. I that's naive, and that's why I'll never own a sports franchise, among other things. Um, I'd say the finances at, would probably be the big non-starter for you. Yeah, sure, but I mean, you never know. Uh, once this, you know, once people start subscribing to this podcast, that's true. That's going true. Nuts, Maybe we get it. So. Uh, that might change, but yeah. So I think it's impossible for me to really understand where anybody's coming from in this you just kind of look at it as like a fan and try to figure out and i like i said i can kind of see where both sides are coming from i i'm certainly siding with the players more than the owners at this point because if you made the you know that agreement it i just can't imagine anybody wouldn't have expected all of this to play out the way it did right. you know it wasn't like you know major league baseball negotiating in february or march or whatever thinking that it would get better by the summer and just go away that, you know, I think we've all been around this long enough. Even when they made the deal in June, I think we should have all known that by then, but. Yeah. It's, it's a challenging situation. Like I get that the owners are going to lose money. I get the players are going to lose money um, at the same time. And, and, I'm sure to a degree, both parties do understand this, but there's just no good optics for millionaires and billionaires squabbling over money right now. Um, And and like, I will fully acknowledge the fact that like they're squabbling over money because that's what professional sports leagues are worth. You know, people always say like, Oh, why don't, you know, look at all the money Patrick Mahomes just got. Why can't that money go to, you know, a teacher? The reality is, is that, professional sports are a very lucrative industry like that's that is just facts and so you know everyone is arguing over what they are worth and within the you know pure economics of professional sports franchises and leagues like millions and billions are what all of this is worth it's what guys are worth as players it's what teams are worth as entities it's what's the it's what the league's worth um as an entity itself but they have to understand that there's no good look right now if it's going to be, oh, we want to raise the escrow. Oh, we want you to take a bigger pay cut. And, you know, just as poorly as it might reflect on ownership, it's going to reflect reflect poorly on players too because someone's going to look at, to use an example like Artemi Panarin and say, oh, you can't take a 40% pay cut from the $10 million or $11 million that you make. Um, fair or unfair that's just the reality of it so I think both sides need to be incredibly careful and cognizant of the situation that we're in in North America altogether and think about what's really worth it now that is a gross oversimplification I know that you can't just say oh well you know we'd rather play let's just do it but I think that that ultimately is where both sides will end up landing but in the interim like Look at baseball. Baseball really damaged its reputation uh, with the way that ownership and players in the league were all just getting after one another. Um, when I I disagree with that, but in hindsight, yeah. I thought it would. I don't think it was. It had as much of an effect as we all thought it would. 
True. That's I mean, but that might say more about watching every playoff game this year. Yeah, that might say more about baseball though than anything else too. Yeah, Um, but it's just you know, TV ratings are down in the first place. It in sports altogether, not just hockey. I think people don't really have the palate for intense labor negotiations um, between people who make seven plus figure salaries. That's all. Yeah. How familiar are you with the new? So this is all prorated. Right, like the, I mean, obviously, because it's not right. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I there, the, <laughs> I will give the NHL and players and owners credit. They've been a lot tighter lipped about the details of this than baseball was. Yeah, so, like, which is we're, important. We're not talking about, and that's to kind of like the Panarin. Uh, Panarin. Uh, <laughs> I almost dropped a. Uh, a, a fast food restaurant uh, in there as well. Um, but that's the, the thing with the Panarin stuff is uh, to give that example, like we're not talking about these guys being asked to take an additional 20% on top of their prorated salary. And that's where I kind of saw where the baseball players are coming from where it's like, you know, we agreed to prorated stuff and now you're trying to take us, make us take a bigger pay cut on that. But I, I don't know, but uh, it also doesn't sound like there'd be a, a ton of conversations being had period well and i think prorating salaries further like taking pay cuts i think that was an idea that was kicked around that like the the league side was thinking about proposing or suggested that to the players in a proposal and that got leaked and that was like if there were just little embers like they tossed gasoline on that by that getting out right um and so yeah i think players look at it and say we'll play however many games you want we just want to have the salary to go for it. And, and I think the thing is too, is they're already looking at this and saying, look at how much we pay in escrow. Like we, we agreed with the CBA that the escrow is going to be capped because, you know, those guys in the first place are already getting, you know, I think the escrow I could be way off is only going to be like 10%. But at one point they were talking about like 30%. Um, and I think a lot of guys would be resistant to a degree. I understand to say, well, we're already putting this much into escrow. Our salaries are prorated, and you're asking us to take an X percent pay cut. It's just, it's incredibly complicated. Imagine being a guy who was making a lot of money or whatever. I mean, I guess if you're making a lot of money, good for you. It doesn't matter as much. But, you know, this this feels like a combination of the baseball stuff and the the lockout coming into 13. Like, we're kind of in a similar spot. Uh, it just feels like going back to that 48-game season, a lot of money lost for, for big players in that one. And this is kind of a similar thing. Like, I think we're just looking at a 48-game season, and and you go from there. But, I don't know, it still feels like revenue is still going to be a bit of an issue with this as well. So, there's a yeah. lot of I, I lot will of say, I, I think, too, like, the league can, regardless of how this goes, I think it absolutely can redeem itself. Because, like, you know, in 2013 – when I watched the Bruins Blackhawks Stanley Cup final series and that entire postseason for the Bruins, I don't think about that as like this season got hosed because the first couple months were tumultuous labor negotiations. I, I just remember how fascinating that postseason was and how it felt legit. Now, if we're getting to the point of the Stanley Cup finals in July, maybe at that point you have people back in buildings, you know, they played a 48 game season. <laughs> that year like I I don't think anything here is irredeemable um 
I think they just need to have a concrete plan because they don't want to get left in the dust either. Like I feel like baseball is going to figure this out for the upcoming season. Basketball's already figured it out. And if you're the NHL who already is the quote unquote niche sport of the four, like you can't be caught on the sidelines for this. They also have a TV deal coming up too, don't they? I think the NBC one's up at the end of this year. Right. So a, you want to get that money and B, don't you want to try to kind of put your best foot forward to potential suitors? Probably, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, so there's that. In terms of, like, actual news, uh, TSN's insider trading was good, just to recap. Ownership frustration. Both sides are frustrated, obviously. There is speculation about the owners canceling the season, which would set off an interesting or tedious depending on how you look at it court battles that would go all the way up to the courts i also wonder how that works in terms of canada and america um but oh i guess just be in america right i don't um yeah that kind of the force majeure kind of comes in there as well um the nhl thought they got protection agreement or a cancellation protection so again there i mean that sounds a lot like baseball as well there could be a fight there uh pierre lebrun says nhl pa is stuck to its guns hasn't really agreed to anything beyond what was negotiated in the summer, which I, it makes sense. Um, somebody on the return to play committee said that they're kind of frustrated by a lack of urgency. That also makes sense. It is December 2nd right now. We're running out of time here. Um, owners and players both prefer to open the season in 31 buildings. That's from Frank Saravalli. Um, but, you know, we look at what's happening in Santa Clara County, you right. know, the San Jose is in that county, correct? believe so so the sharks would have to look for you know a different place to play all of the 49ers but so the sharks were the first team too before they shut the season down right. they were playing without fans that's true so teams could move to neutral sites partial bubble remains an option so there's a lot that hasn't been squared away it does sound like they are going to go with uh four divisions this year which i think is an interesting little wrinkle here uh i think it was greg washinsky at espn had this before anybody else but Four divisions, Canada, East, Canada, comma, East, comma, Central, comma, West. Um, the Canadian one, self-explanatory. Then you don't have, you know, travel across the border. All the Canadian teams play each other. The Bruins would be in an Eastern division, uh, whatever, I guess, division, yeah, with Buffalo, Carolina, New Jersey, the two New York teams, the Flyers, and the Capitals. Um that's interesting, I guess. I don't know. I I don't like it because <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for Bruins Canadians, but yeah, them's the breaks, I guess. I, I think it would be good in the sense of ramping back up a, a Bruins-Rangers rivalry, um, but I, I like Bruins-Leafs, and, you know, I like Bruins-Canadians, and not having that would be challenging, but I guess at the same time, if they – meet any of those teams in the playoffs it's like oh yeah well. even Bruins Lightning that's another one even because the Lightning would be in the central now right. that central would be sick like that would be awesome um that central just run it down real quick Chicago Columbus Detroit Florida Nashville Pittsburgh St. Louis and Tampa maybe not a ton of contenders in there but you can talk yourself into like a lot of that you know like a a Penguins Blues series, or yeah. if they do series or whatever, Louis Tampa. Yeah, right. All that look. It, I like that. So I can I can be talked into that. I think that is one that the NBC would just circle. See, this actually could be good for 
national TV interest. I mean, we're already hell bent on putting Chicago and Boston and New York on NBC family of networks three times a week anyway. So it'll help in that regard. Sure. Um, Andy Strickland said there are players who uh, delayed their travel to the NHL city. That's not great. Um, but it just feels like everybody is kind of honed in on 48 game season. That's no real surprise there. Um, lid mid to late January, early February start. Uh, and then LeBron tweeted as well on Tuesday. Uh, the NHL still hopes to start in early January. Um, but that uh, the target date hasn't shifted. But uh, according to LeBron, giving his own two cents and given the COVID numbers, it seems like the season can be further delayed. So it feels like February has got to be the play at this point. I January would surprise me unless it's mid to late January. Like Jan 1 is no shot at this point. Yeah, I'd be very surprised because now you're getting into the territory where it's going to be tough to get guys back over the border. Well, and to that point, too, I mean, just last week, like several Columbus Blue Jackets players tested positive. So you're going to be dealing with that as well. Yeah, right. Those first, I, I am a fan of short training camps. Like, I thought the way that they did it before the bubble was fine. Um, but I think you also run into an issue where, like, guys are going to have to quarantine. Guys are going to have to take multiple tests. Like, guys are probably going to get, you know, stuck at – customs and whatnot because they're trying to travel during a pandemic even if it is for a work reason so like that's just going to complicate things quite a bit so I don't think they can say you know if they say today December 2nd okay we got a framework it's agreed to but we'll it's signed by the end of the week I don't think you're getting guys you know I don't think you say okay training camp starts next Monday be there um, you know you're yeah. talking like almost Christmas time by the time you could actually start holding like full team sessions the element of everything in this is fascinating, though, because, like, we're in a worse place with the virus than we were in, like, March yeah. or the entire summer. And so when they were doing the return to play in the summer, like, rinks were closed. I think those rinks now might be open despite the fact that <laughs> things are worse. So, yeah. And then, then when you start talking about having all 31 teams playing in their home cities, there's just a lot going on there, but it also all happens to coincide at a time where, or it will, God willing, be coinciding with a time where we're starting to turn the corner. It feels like yeah. it, it, you know, December feels like it's going to suck, but I think once we get to January, you're going to start to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. So it'll be interesting. And it'll be interesting to see whether you can get player people in the buildings. Like I think you're going to be able to get fans in a lot of buildings early in the season. That's, yeah, and that's why the NHL and the Players Association can't bungle this. Right. Because, like, if, if you're – Because nothing would be worse than, like, canceling the season and then, like, two months later, it'd be like, we're getting close to normal again. Or right. not normal, but – Which, uh, yeah, that would be ambitious. But at the same time, like, you know, at, at all the money that teams and television make is through the postseason. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, the regular season, for all intents and purposes, it's just a means to an end. Um. And so they need to play the long game here and say, well, if we're delaying the season and the playoffs aren't going to start until mid-May and, you know, vaccine companies are saying they could have everyone in the country vaccinated by the start of June, you have to be looking at that and saying, okay, we're probably going to take a hit 
early on. And there might be a calculated business risk in case anything goes sideways in terms of getting back to normal. But the potential benefit of playing and having people who haven't been out in literal months over a year being able to say wow i can safely go to a bruins maple leafs playoff game like you just you cannot botch that you, it's just this is not the type of thing to be short-sighted about what a wild thought that is just like, i know it's horrifying as somebody who went to the bruins lightnings game bruins lightning game for work like three days before the season got shut down was in a jam-packed arena at the beginning of March the thought of being like in that type of situation kind of scares the crap out of me but it's also kind of awesome though it is yeah that'd be, that'd be cool um all right so when that happens uh when uh, when the Bruins and the Maple Leafs square off in the playoffs for the 18th straight season uh will Dan Chara be wearing the C uh for the Boston Bruins that is what they call a segue uh it sounds like there's not a whole lot of news on Zidane Char and the Bruins or Zidane Char and any team. He remains unsigned, supposedly has some interest from other teams. The Bruins supposedly have some interest in retaining him as well, but I think it's got to work for everybody. Um, and I just wonder at this point, if we're just kind of waiting to see what happens before we really start getting into the trenches and figuring this out. Yeah, I, I think that is what's going to happen. That's kind of the read that I've gotten is that he's just waiting to see what the season's going to look like. And so a developing theory that I have, which this is purely conjecture, is that if they end up doing hybrid bubbles, he might just say, this isn't worth it. Like, I'm not disappearing for my family for weeks on end um, when really, I, you know, he does not need that. Uh, does not need to play anymore if he really doesn't want to. He's cemented his legacy. Uh, he's made enough money. But I think a 48-game season might actually work out pretty well in terms of getting him to come back, especially if they're playing in home buildings. Um, and, and to the point about the bubble, uh, I think that's why I have dismissed the possibility of Zidane Chara signing anywhere else. I think it's Bruins or retirement. Um, because, you know, his – his kids have grown up here. He has roots here. Like, I don't know why, especially if he's at the point where he's even contemplating retirement, that means it's probably coming soon either way, right? If not this year, you know, maybe next or the year after. But regardless, it's not too far off in the distance. I think that if that's where his mind's at, I don't know why you'd say, yeah, I'm going to go sign with Detroit or Colorado or somewhere like that and move for a 48 game season or a truncated season, regardless, uh, that just doesn't seem like something he would do. That's, that's my hunch. My hunch is I would be shocked if he does anything besides play for the Bruins this year. Really? I think he plays and he will play for the Bruins. I think the fact that the Bruins didn't and haven't yet made any sort of big splash in free agency and I've actually signed pretty manageable RFA deals. I think they're going to, the music is going to stop and you know, both sides are going to realize let's just share the chair. And I think the Bruins will be more than you know able to make it happen financially. I think Chara after going to free agency probably realizes that, this is the best option and maybe the money isn't necessarily what he wants, but I think at the end of the day, that probably isn't his top priority anymore. Um, I think 
my feeling is that he wants to be back in Boston. He wants to play for the Bruins. And I think it just gets to a point where the, the, the Bruins are like, well, this just makes the most sense. Like, yeah. you know, I don't think he's a liability or anything like that at this point. So you might as well give him I, one more I, year. And then, you know, it's going to be another weird year anyway. So why not bring back your, you know, your leader and just try At to- worst, he's like a high-end third pairing guy. Right. Yeah, and that's like, – I mean, that'll be the interesting thing if they do resign him is like, okay, so what's the role now? Yeah. It, it's not like the Bruins are drowning in NHL-ready defense depth. Right. Too. Like, they should not be turning their nose at Chara coming back. Not at all. I think, But I think, like I said, I feel pretty confident saying that he'll be back with the Bruins. I just yeah feel like it makes the most sense for everybody. I've, I've said from the beginning, I think that they have the contract drawn up and then Sweeney's desk drawer. Yeah. Um, and they're just waiting for him to say, yep, I actually want to play. And I think that starts with figuring out what the hell's happening with this NHL season. Um, Bruce Cassidy says Tuka Rask is the guy. I think he said it a multiple uh, Yeah, he said it a few times. Now, I think WEI was the latest. Not a surprise at all, right? Like, yeah. I, 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 I don't know why he's had to face that question so many times. He, the Tuka Rask is on the, the roster and we're a month away from potentially starting. Like, no kidding. He's the, the guy. Like, yeah. He's a Vezina Trophy finalist. I understand what happened last year that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But if he wasn't the guy, we would know that by now. Right? right. Unless, unless, and this is something as I saw in the athletic about how, like, everybody is kind of just frozen movement because nobody knows what the season's going to look like. So you trades are basically dead until we have an idea of what the season will look like. So I guess it's possible. I mean, the guy makes a lot of money, but we haven't heard anything whatsoever. So I don't think there's, I have no reason to believe that they're in a position to trade to Garask. Yeah. None whatsoever. He's entering the final year of his deal anyways. You might as well see what you can get out of him. Yeah. Um, And, you know, if the Bruins are bad or if he really wants out, you trade him at the deadline. But that just, I, I don't know. I've got. They're not going to be bad, to... probably. Like it's so he's here. Like I don't know. It's yeah, just... I people are overthinking it way too much. Like he's he's not going anywhere. Yeah. Like I, I there were the rumors. I forget who tweeted them out. That the like the, I saw. I think one reporter that I actually trust saying that like the Bruins were taking calls on Rask, and it's like, yeah, no shit. Like you take calls on anyone. Um, so I don't know. I never got the sense that he was getting traded. Like he made clear and every time he's spoken publicly since, which I think is like once or twice that like, he doesn't want to go anywhere. He likes it here. Like he was dealing with the family issue with the bubble. Um, but like his, his take on playing and whatnot still hasn't changed. Yeah. I, to the credit of everyone involved, everybody involved in this, whether it's the Bruins or Rask have, made it pretty clear like this is what the plan is moving forward like rask has made it clear he wants to be in boston and nowhere else and the bruins have made it clear that you know he's going to be their guy and it doesn't it's an easy thing for the bruins to say too like all right it's relatively manageable cap number for maybe the best goalie in the game for one more year like why would we look to get out from underneath that now yeah unless they are absolutely jaded by what happened we have no reason to believe that Tuka leaving the bubble wasn't for anything other than legit family reasons like yeah I think we're all 
we've learned too much to continue down the path of like thinking that there's something here. Yeah. And, and unless the Bruins were like burning it down, which no move that they've made so far indicates that they are, um, you know, you keep Rask. Like if you keep running it back, you keep your goalie. That was just a Vezina finalist. I agree. Um, if they don't completely run it back, if there's still moves to be made here, and if once this informal freeze is ended, uh, you wrote on Nesson.com uh, last week, I believe. Saturday, uh, I think. Oh, so this is the other thing. The Bruins re-signed uh, or locked up Jake DeBrusque to a manageable team-friendly deal, I think I would say, but also a good deal for the player in that it's very short, short term. I think it's a two-year deal. Two years, yeah. Um, so you kind of said, you know, here's what they have left with money. Uh, there are still players out there. Here's maybe who they could sign. Um, why don't you give us a brief synopsis of that with a couple of ideas? So according to Cap Friendly, they have about $4.9 million. Um, Chara, the last few years, has, I think, done $2 million uh, with lots of incentives. Um, my guess is he would probably do something similar. So if you're the Bruins, you're probably looking at I mean, this is if you want to get, like, right up to the cap threshold, too. Um, Then you're looking at under, you know, probably, like, $2 that you can comfortably work with and leave yourself a little bit of space. Again, really tight. Um, But a couple of names that I had. The the big swing for the fence that I think would never happen without a corresponding – move is uh Grandland, the Nashville Predators winger who's just had a down couple of years the Minnesota experiment didn't work out Nashville wasn't much better um however he still is a guy who's reached 60 plus points twice um and even you know in bad years he put up 30 points last year 54 the year before but he's making almost six million dollars he's gonna get a pay cut but probably not enough to where it would steer the Bruins clear I think the most reasonable fit for them that is someone they could actually make the money work with who would have a beyond a somewhat positive impact on the ice. Cause that's my thing. Don't sign somebody just to sign somebody. Uh, but that's Anthony Duclair. He made 1.65 million last year with the senators. He was playing top six minutes with them. 23 goals, 17 assists, 40 points in 66 games. It feels like he's been around forever. That's because he keeps getting traded because he's been in one crappy situation after another. You know, he started in New York. Uh, he ended up down in Arizona, then Arizona. I think he was with um, – shoot, who was his coach in Arizona? Uh, it was before Talkit. Um, uh, oh, it was Dave Tippett. It was Dave oh, Tippett. Oh, right, yeah. Um, Bad situation there. Then he goes to Columbus where John Tortorella is just like ripping him to the media every day while he's 22, 23 years old, still trying to figure it out. So finally he goes to Ottawa and becomes the player people suspected he would be. Now, I don't know if that means he needs to be banished to obscurity for the rest of his career in order to perform. um, And if that would make Boston a challenging place, but you've started to see over the last couple of years with Ottawa, the player that many thought was worth taking a flyer on so he's making less than two million dollars already he hasn't been signed so he's probably not in a position where he's going to make a significant raise so if you can get him even on a short two three-year deal where you're paying him somewhere 
between, you know, one and a half to two and a half. That's a good deal for a guy who actually has shown a demonstrated ability to score at the NHL level. So I think he's a good pick uh, there. The other ones I had, we don't need to go back down this, but it's Andreas Athanasiu still isn't signed. Uh, horrid defender, but great skater, good goal scorer. Again, really bad situations in Detroit. Um, he could be kind of a redemption player, but he didn't get a qualifying offer and he was making 3 million. And, um, you know, it's reasonable that he might look to stay in that area. That might make him uh, unattainable for the Bruins. But again, I, I don't know if I'm oversimplifying this, but I think a lot of these guys probably will not have a lot of leverage when things heat back up if the season starts. So I look at pretty much everyone. I say, you're either making the same or less. I don't know too many guys getting pay bumps right now, except for maybe Mike Hoffman, who will be unattainable for the Bruins unless they make another move. Uh, last one, and this was, or the second to last one, actually, um, I'll go to first is Ilya Kovalchuk. He's got another year um, left on the buyout from the Kings. So he's still making as much money as he was going to make. So he could probably sign for vet minimum again. It always seemed like a foregone conclusion. He was going to end up back with the Canadians. Like when he got traded to capitals, the assumption was if he keeps playing, he'll go back to Montreal because he liked it there. He hasn't. Um, and they also just signed Tyler to Foley. So I don't know if they're kind of running out of room there, but he could potentially present a fit. Cause that was another guy who things clearly were not working out in LA. The Bruins, we know like Kovalchuk and he's shown based on what he did uh, in a very brief time with Washington, but more so what he did with Montreal that he can actually still be a worthwhile player. And that brings me to the last one, which I know is basically just red meat for you, which is Corey Perry. I've talked myself into Corey Perry in part because he will probably cost like a million to get. He was nasty in the postseason for Dallas. Um, he would be a nice shot in the arm for Bruins fans because the guy loves to just goon it up. Um, and the Bruins also just let like Joakim Nordstrom walk. Uh, so there is voids on the bottom six that they will probably try and fill with guys like Trent Frederick or Anton bleed. But um, you know, Bring Corey Perry and let him for let him compete for a spot with you know Nick Ritchie and those guys. If you scratch him, you scratch him. Uh, but if not, it's a guy who has you know his very good scoring days are well behind him, but he's not an inept offensive player anymore. So that's probably worth something. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, I also like the Duclair one. I was just looking at uh, it's it's World Junior season. I was like that guy. I think was really good in World Juniors. I looked it up. He was a horse for them in fifteen. Yeah. That team was sick. They had, like, look at it right now. Duclair, Max Domi, Sam Reinhart, um, Darnell Nurse, Connor McDavid, obviously, Lazar. Um, and he had, like, eight points in seven games. He scored a, I scored a goal in the, the gold medal game. So that was, he's, a, he's a big guy, too. I yeah. like Anthony Duclair a lot. Like, he moves well. Um, he's a good enough defender. And he is just bad situations have basically limited his earning potential. So that's why I could see him trying to get a deal with term that'll take him to his late 20s. And then if he proves himself, he goes and he cashes in and gets a long-term deal to, you know, right, kick off the back end of his career. If I was the Bruins, too, I'd be more likely to sign a guy now. I know there might be, like, an inclination to save some money for the trade deadline. But, like, you're going to get better deals now than you would at the deadline because you're taking on – you're most likely taking on a cap hit from a previously signed – contract that wasn't 
you know, signed in December in the middle of a pandemic. So like there's probably more value in signing these guys right now than trying to save your cap space in case you have to make a deal at the, the deadline. So, yeah, I mean, if somebody gets hurt, you're screwed, but that's probably going to be the case anyway. So. Well, it also kind of begs the question too, that was happening with baseball of like how many moves would there be at the trade deadline of a truncated season? Like I forget what the Bruins did in 13. Didn't they like trade for Wade Redden that year? Um, but like I, I feel like there's not a whole lot of wheeling and dealing. So for me, if I were a GM, that would probably compel me to use up a little bit more of my cap space instead of stockpiling it, thinking like, okay, I'm going to swing for the fences at the deadline if I need to. Yeah. So interesting. Uh, you know, I, a lot still has to happen, I think, before we can really even figure out any of that stuff. But uh, that's that's kind of where we are at, at this point. Um, one last thing: Johnny Boychuk retired. Bummer. Because uh, he had the the eye thing, I, it's some like I guess his conference call. He was talking about like he doesn't have peripheral vision sometimes or whatever. Yeah. Sounds pretty scary. Um, pulling out for Johnny Boychuk. I thought he was an awesome Bruin, and that you know they traded him to the Islanders. That was a miscalculation, I think we can say in hindsight, because that just kind of took a little oomph out of that team. That yeah. was pretty evident that entire season. So. Yeah, cap-clearing move, and that ended up punishing them because they were not good in 14 and 15. That was the year Jacobs went on the record in, like, January, basically ripping them. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's he's one of those guys where, like, when you think about the 2011 Bruins, you think about Johnny Boychuk. And, like, for as many bona fide, like, NHL stars as were on that team between Bergeron, Chara, Marshawn, Mark Recchi, all those guys – Guys like Johnny Boychuk are kind of what made that team yep. tick. Like Johnny Boychuk, Andrew Ference, uh, you know, the Michael Ryder to the world. Like those guys are the reason um, that that team won the Stanley Cup is because they found ways to basically have – the Bruins built a team that had depth across all four forward lines and all three defensive pairings. And, you know, Johnny Boychuk was a guy who did not take the conventional route. I mean, he had – hundreds of AHL games before he even got his shot in the NHL. And once he did, he made it stick. Um, so sucks that his career ended the way that it did, that he couldn't kind of, you know, call his own shot on the way out. But um, somebody who will be remembered as an icon, I think both in Boston and New York. Ended up making about $43 million for his career. So not bad there. Uh, yeah. I also hate when people say this, but very good guy to deal with as well from our side of the room like always a very kind man for somebody who played such a mean style of hockey which i guess that's generally how it works like yeah adam McQuaid's one of the nicest guys yep. yeah yeah so good for him um bummer but like i said i you could do worse than 42 million uh bones so um well actually more than that no it's close to 50 it is 50 yeah all right even better um Good all right you got, you got anything else no i think that's it i, uh, I think we're coming up on like 45 yeah, minutes we've been here way too long like that. we had a lot to talk about what do you want we did yeah <laughs> that's what happens when you table a podcast for about two months we will not be tabling this for two months because there will be news sooner and later or maybe a new season starting so we will reconvene then and uh discuss as as has been our uh, our past habit so um that's logan i'm mike thank you for joining us if you made it this long god bless you um and we will talk to you again soon see you then